All right, welcome to Hayden Films Verge, episode number five. We are here in Albany, New York at Yonos, and we are very excited about today's show. I'm your host, Hayden Crudoff, and my um, co-host here, Kevin from Taste. Tell uh, our listeners and viewers a little bit about your company and, and how we met, because I think that's a great story. It is a pretty cool story. So um, I'm, my name yeah, is Kevin Longa, and I film a documentary series uh, called Taste that features the stories of food entrepreneurs around the world. Uh, and so we filmed everything from like dictator fighting restaurant tours in Myanmar to Michelin starred chefs in Europe, cricket farmers in Thailand. And we've also filmed in Indonesia, which is where Chef Yono is from. And we met at the Northeast Filmmakers Lab uh, here in Albany, New York. And uh, we just really hit it off on you know, entrepreneurship, filmmaking, and we really hit it off with Chef Yono about traveling the world and, and food. And so I'm excited for this conversation. Exactly, exactly. So this is, you know, again, like I said, episode five. So for all our viewers and listeners out there, please like uh, this episode, share it, and most importantly, subscribe to the channel so you can uh, stay up to date on all the updates that we have. And most importantly, you'll see right over here on the left-hand side, there's gonna be some um, cards that you can click on for previous episodes and also information about um, Yono's and of course tastes and definitely the script the description below um, so chef Yono thanks for joining us thanks well, for thank having you. us we really appreciate it with all of you guys yes so let's start out because I know we enjoyed lunch the other day mm -hmm. we really appreciate um, the hospitality thank you. and um, you know again our, our listeners and viewers have really um, enjoyed listening to um, stories that, from entrepreneurs and, and before we get into the stories of, of the restaurant, tell us a little bit about the history of, of you potentially leaving this area. And so I, I thought that was an interesting story. So if you could tell the, the audience why you were gonna leave and then what made you stay to build what you have here today. Well, I've been here for probably 17 years. And at the time, economy is really kind of a city. And I feel like, well, as I think started to move around to Florida and I took a chance with my son take a look every week check out the places and then we found out the place in the Delray and then suddenly we just make decision and then that day I think Wednesday morning Time Union cover up whole story about why I'm leaving mm. and then before that I think like about nine o'clock in the morning the mayor of Albany and Mr. David Sway called me up. Well, I know you'd like to move, but before you move, please talk to us. I have a proposal for you. So I listen and I talk to them and I sit down with them, have breakfast, and I take a look. It seemed to me like it's not, it's kind of a no brainer. Mm -hmm. So the next day I talked to my lawyer, I talked to my finance, and he said, take and run. I thought, so that's why I'm staying here. Awesome, and awesome. What, what made you decide to take and run? What, what, what convinced you? Because what's happened is uh, when somebody gives you offer that you cannot refuse, how could you? Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll be part of the action of the, the hotel and uh, he gave me enough money to build the restaurant and the rest is I have to put my own. And since then, like, why not? 
So I have a really confident between me, my wife, and my son. We are the family operator. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a fantastic story. So um, when did that happen? Was that 17 years ago or was it no, midway point? This about 13 years ago. 13 years ago? Yeah. Okay. I think in 1906. Oh, wow. And what was your vision at the beginning and how has that evolved over the years in creating your restaurant? Well, when I graduated from college in 1971, I always think abroad. And my I mean, you traveled around the world. Yeah, right? before yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I was in uh, USA, London, and Amsterdam. Yeah. Uh, uh, so obviously, my dream come true. I worked on the cruise ship when I graduated. And then I worked there for seven years. And I met my wife in 1975. And then we got married in 77. And I have one more contract. So 1978, I left the ship. I resetted in Albany, from Albany. So I'm so lucky that my dream, United States, number one. So here we go. And thanks for people in the United States allow me to be part of the, you know, the daily routine. And I, I really learned so much in my past 43 years. I get involved in so many things, especially with the community. And since 1906, when we have a bad, bad situation in, in, in Indonesia, mm-hmm. when we have 159,000 people disappear without trace. Wow. And people calling me left and right. So I said, why people so care about me and my country? Since then, like, wow, really, I'm really like, feel chill because to me, people care about. So finally, I called uh, all my friends around here, the restaurant tour. We started to do the fundraiser for the uh, Red Cross. So I called Red Cross to be part of the uh, recipient. So we did it in uh, our neighborhood hotel, uh, Hilton, and we raised over $100,000. Wow, $100,000 in a 10 days period. That's so wonderful. really awesome. In the meantime, I don't know why, I've been graduated from 1971, since then, I never back to my college. Coincident. That year, 1909, the college gave me invitation to speak for the graduation mm. in uh, May. That must have been a great honor. Right. And in the meantime, so wow, what happened? So in the meantime, I talked to the president of uh, Red Cross, uh, Gary Stradano. Look, I'm going to Indonesia in May. So can you hook me up? to where the Shetris, where the Aceh is. So we went there, I get up, I thought I was going to be a tough guy, I was there in two days, I lose everything. I know that I cannot sleep, everything just between body, and uh, just really upsetting. 
two days later I was a speed in the graduation. And since then I called my wife, honey, send me five thousand dollars to start foundation scholarship. Oh wow. That's a good I think that's a fantastic segue. So um, you know, you're passionate about giving back to the community. Um, and you've gone through the journey, you've opened up um, the restaurant here, you had the opportunity to actually stay based on the partnerships with the mayor and everything yeah. like that. So how has Yono's um, impacted the community through like food and, 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 and your scholarships? How has that been um, um, presented to, to the community? And yeah, tell I us think, a little bit more about the foundation. I think the foundation is born in 1908. You mean 2008? Uh, 2008. Yes. I'm sorry. So what's this? Because I don't have a lot of money, but I have passion, I have time, I have knowledge. So what's happening at the time? I do the fundraiser. Two two fundraisers. Once uh, in, in summer, I do the golf tournament. Okay. So I invite all my chef doing cooking in the course. So we have like probably 18 hole. I get a whole food and wine and liquor. Wow. So we don't care about the golf, we just eat drinking and eating. <laughs> exactly, yeah. The second <laughs> part of the, my furniture is we do dinner. Uh -huh. We have a seven-course dinner. And would that be here at the restaurant? In the restaurant. Okay. In the banquet room. And we only take 75 people. All right. And we chat uh, normally from 175 to plus that people give extra. Sure. And this them all the profit is go to uh, my foundation. Mm -hmm. We have three schools. One, two in United is a Schenectady Community College. One's a SUNY Cobbleskill. And the other one's a West School that I graduated from. Wow, that's wonderful. Now, how can our listeners or viewers, um, do you want to um, plug your um, uh, email to get involved? or Yes, uh, anyone get involved or, uh, involved or anyone want to be interesting to donate because we have uh, five one OC, Wonderful. so all the tech deductible. Uh, please contact me, chefyono at aol.com. Wonderful, wonderful. And we'll make sure that is in the description and also in the video as well. And so tell us a little bit more about, you know, the, the specialties of the cuisine. And I know you're going to take over on this um, in a few My seconds. Favorite part. Your favorite part. Let's actually cheers uh, to let's that. Let's cheers this to that. Yeah. Cheers. Um, and um, so what is the specialty? in Yonos. Tell us a little bit about the, the, the culture and, and the food and, and then of course well, Kevin will jump in. When the first time in 1980 when we opened, we have a steakhouse and, and then 1982 oh, I started introducing my, my home cooking because look, I'm Indonesian my wife is Italian, I live in this country, in American, and I know American people are always hungry for more. They want to get more experience, or more uh, different cuisine. Sure. So, one or two items that I introduced, and then more and more. So finally, this third year, the second year, we have a half menu in Indonesian, half in continental. In the meantime, we don't even Well, tell know. us, let me jump in real quick if you don't mind. Tell our viewers and our listeners the continental concepts. Yeah. Continental concept is like more, for example, uh, French, Italian, German, something like that. In the meantime, 
I twist it with a Indonesian ingredient like coconut milk, lemongrass, lime leaf, sambal, and so and so on. So at the time, we just been called. Tell, tell uh, me about your, your foie gras dish. I thought that was a really interesting dish. Well, just for that example, we have, yeah, we, 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 we call it opor bebek. Opor means stew, bebek means duck. So in here, we have a, uh, the sauce is. Uh, we and this is, sorry, this is a traditional Indonesian dish. Yes. And then we just twist with the put of foie gras. Yeah, and foie gras the, is more of the French yeah, inspired. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah, I got that. So the stew, a duck stew that's very Indonesian. Yeah. But instead of the duck, you use foie gras. In the meantime, we use this uh, breast. We saute it, sear it, medium rare, mm -hmm. put the foie gras on top. And then the sauce, we put the foie gras and then lemongrass, coconut milk, and so on and so on. So it's really, it's truly, 90% or could be 95% is uh, Indian spice and, and, and ingredient. The 5% is the foreground, just adding up the twisted. Mm -hmm. And I think with that, people are like, wow, that is unusual. It's a really perfect merit. So with that, so we just stick to it. Mm. So this actually reminds me, I was filming an episode of Taste in Czech Republic mm -hmm. and I filmed with a chef who's from Sri Lanka mm -hmm. and he actually traveled around the world on cruise ships uh, like yourself going and cooking across the world and um, not only was he deeply influenced by that but one of his menu items, at he worked at the Mandarin Oriental mm -hmm. uh, in Prague and he had a gyoza filled with foie gras. Yeah. And I wonder, like, especially being in the hospitality industry of um, cruise ships, yep. you have to have that continental mindset in the, yeah. in the back of your mind. Absolutely. I wonder if that has influenced your menu to this day. Of course, because, uh, you know, our ship is flagship. We go and run the world every year for January to April. And we stop probably 32 countries every year. So we really love so much. That's why I stay for seven years. Because to me, you travel, you got paid, somebody cook for you, somebody do laundry for you, why not? Mm -hmm. This is the best job ever in my life. Wow. Uh, I wanna, I'm just, I'm That's what he said too. Actually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I want to segue over and I see um, you have some spices it looks like on the table over there. So tell us a little bit about the Indonesian spices because I've been doing a lot of research most recently and we talked about it the other day and again just for our listeners and our viewers. Um, the importance of Indonesia spices, how are they become so renowned across the world and how do they uh, assist in, in multiple cultures for those particular spices? The Indonesian spices, we are the richest producer spices or rempah-rempah in the world. That's why everybody come to Indonesia to pursue that ingredient. Just for example, the, back in 350 years ago, the Dutch colony, West Indy, went there and then Fasco de Gama, Fasco de Gama, and then so on and so on. But like everybody in the world come to Indonesia looking for this specific uh, spices sure. that nobody and, has. And is there a particular country that is the, the largest exports of the um, your country? I think um, in Indonesia it was probably like a, a quarter producer in the world 
tourist patches wow. from Indonesia. And we, that is kind of like part and parcel to the whole idea that you were talking about the other day with me of like how for centuries Indonesia was colonized and didn't have independence and was owned by the Dutch. Yeah. Like just the Dutch just stole your spices. 350 years. Yes. We under uh, Dutch colony. Mm -hmm. So, but we just keep fighting and fighting and fighting. Finally, in 1945, August 17, we declared independent. Mm -hmm. It goes to show how powerful food can be. Sure. That if you own the food, you own the country. Well, true, absolutely true. And uh, as you say, until today, our our president really. I realized that how important our cuisine to the world because mm -hmm. to introduce politics it take time, but with the cuisine and and that culture is so fast and so cheap. Mm -hmm. So they say uh, our government taking initiative to promoting innocent cuisine through the world, and I'm obviously I'm uh, lucky enough. He pointed me to be culinary ambassador for Indonesia, travel to uh, North America and then South America. Wow, that's wonderful. I'm and gonna, Asia. And yeah. Asia. So let me jump in there too. And this question is for either one of you, um, particularly for the multiple generations that are going out and, and, and focusing on travel, cuisine, um, and in particular with the millennial market. Um, how do you feel the Indonesia um, um, cuisine or any other cuisine is being accepted by um, the millennial market and how do you um, see the millennial market engaging um, these wonderful foods um, in the 21st century? Should I take it? Take it. Well, yeah, the millennial market is an interesting bunch. I think a lot of us um, are kind of uh, driven by our phones and uh, our phones are, for better or worse, they do open us up to the world. Mm -hmm. And so, um, when you are that super connected, you're able to discover all these new foods. Now, that's obvious and goes without saying. Uh, maybe I've taken it a, a bit uh, further than the average bear in, like now I've actually reached out to these people all across the world and lived in their homes and cooked with them and filmed with them. Mm -hmm. And you just get this, visceral feeling of oh this this is this cuisine is home for somebody in fact I had this one um, this one meal in Southeast Asia where I ate uh, bonsai I don't know if you've heard of this no, it's please, in Vietnam uh, it was in Ben Tre which is just outside of Ho Chi Minh City about an hour away in the Mekong Delta and bonsai is basically like a savory pancake in fact it literally translates to uh, sizzling pancake. Oh wow, that sounds yummy. That it sounds is. very yummy. So, um, are you seeing an uptick on uh, millennials now because of their phones traveling to? Definitely, is it? We actually we just I just back from Indonesia to the seminar for gastronomic and culinary for millennium, uh, sponsored by uh, Minister of Tourism. And wow. We just, and we invite probably seven chefs from all over the, all, over, all over the world. Mm -hmm. And I think we succeed because truly, I mean, today with the millennium is uh, millennial is kind of uh, this our market. I well, mean, yeah, that market is growing. That oh is the future. 
And I think, you know, it's that, you know, inclusion of all the markets, you know, that are going to drive the future of food, I think, into the consumption of food. The appreciation of food is really key to tie in a parent, a millennial, a grandparent and whatnot. And, and this is where you bring families together from all generations. And so what we're hearing is that the access to technology, mobile stories, and, and, and pitching or presenting food in a way that is, I don't want to say palatable, but give us a little bit more of how do you present food um, in this new world? Um, well, yeah, and I know taste focuses yeah. on that, so please. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit biased, but uh, Hayden, I think you hit the nail on the head about um, what actually does drive millennials a lot. Like, there's plenty of marketing agencies. Like, how do we catch the millennials? They don't, they're not on TV anymore. We can't get them in print ads. They need to be influenced and everything like that. We're just like other human beings, um, like for centuries. Um, what makes millennials different is a lot of them are very cause-based. They mm. want to believe in something. Sure. Uh, and so to, since the beginning of time, what helps people believe in something is storytelling. Mm -hmm. And food is a story. Indonesia's story of food has been, for centuries, oppression and colonization by outside forces. And then now finally they have independence and they're able to celebrate their diversity and cuisine. Exactly. They have all these different islands with all these, like. One island's Muslim, so you've got halal, you've got, um, you know, uh, Hindi in Bali, so mm -hmm. they can't eat cows. Uh, and so you've got all these different stories sure. in just one country. And not let alone all these other countries around the world that have a different story and a different food. And all those foods and stories lead to a mission and a cause that can inspire a millennial. Exactly, exactly. So I, I know one other thing I wanted to talk about was, I'm sure where these stories are told is in Germany for the annual Super Bowl of chefs. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us our audience a little bit about that Olympics. and how you as Olympics. the Olympics, oh, yeah. the Chef Olympics? Well, in this, you know, it's not just a, a sport. The culinary also, we have Olympic every four years, always in Germany, probably past in 62 years. So we are probably about 62 countries, 68 countries every year to compete uh, grueling for seven days. And every country has a team and that team is uh, of course try to create uh, everybody uh, uh, food mm. from different uh, location and for fortune I have uh, been part of the 1992 Olympic in Germany through the standard of this year. And to me, at the time, one week is like grueling, but the most memorable in my life until I die. Because you met shoulder to shoulder with the 68 countries, seven different countries, and you just sharing the knowledge, sharing almost we sharing everything. Wow! I think that American really truly is uh, the first American chef uh, sharing knowledge to the world, and also American chef is truly innovative mm -hmm. through the world. Yeah. 
wonderful, wonderful. It's because of people like you who've come from different countries. Exactly. To exactly. bring their cuisine and their yeah. story. True. In the meantime, you know, before, when you have something, you was guarding. Yes. Because I'm afraid that you're going to take my job. Mm -hmm. But today, you want to know? Come to me. I, I tell you anything what you and want I think to that's, know. That's a, that's a perfect way to see um, food and, and cuisine continue to evolve and, and transcend boundaries. And because this is a global world now. Indeed. And, Indeed. and we need to enjoy these, these foods. Yeah. So with that said, we appreciate um, visiting um, Yono. Um, so if you are here in Albany, New York, please stop by Yono's um, and ask for Chef Yono. He's going to make you a special dish. And listen, catch us on the next Hayden Films Verge episode. Until then, come visit. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.